This is definitely the first time we've recorded this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, technical issues aside, welcome back to the Every Other Sunday podcast season review. Now, this is quite a big one. Um, and I know now, <laughs> I've, I've had a peek behind the curtain and I've seen that, that Daniel has devised a narrative um, of four chapters that this season to tell the tale of this season i guess right so do you want to tell people what the chapters are okay and then we'll go from there so chapter one and this title announce will cover september or at least the summer basically all the way up to early december chapter two is titled learn to separate and it covers december to the end of january chapter three is why not and it covers sort of early february all the way up to march late March, and then the final chapter, Intangibles, covers April and May. Beautiful. Right. You suggested in a recording that we haven't just tried to do uh, that we start off with the summer transfer window. So, you know, do you want to give your thoughts on the signings? And, and we'll go from there because obviously it was a busy window, wasn't it? It was. Um, in some ways, expected with some of the targets, Um I'll still maintain, I think, that Kai Havertz was the most unexpected of the transfers for me. I remember as far back as, say, like March, when we were still in sort of the first lockdown, we hadn't finished 1920 yet, that I said midfield was like the one area that I just didn't think. And of course, <laughs> debatable now where Kai Havertz is actually playing for Chelsea. He isn't playing in central midfield. He's playing as a forward now for Chelsea. But I stressed that it was the one area in Lampard's squad that didn't need massive improvement. I felt it was the most varied in skill set. The only, I think what's become apparent since I said those those things in a video way back in March 2020 was that we desperately need a defensive midfielder, which we didn't get and we still haven't got, you know. But I felt that across the board, it was a really exciting time. It was an exciting time to cover the club and to see all these new players coming in, the excitement about the new season, where it could go. Um, the profile of a lot of these players, what it could mean for Chelsea, trying to build a new look Chelsea. So I feel like Kai is the biggest one because it obviously was the biggest in terms of fee. It was the biggest in terms of hype. It went on basically all of the summer. Um, but signings like Ziyech, like Werner, like Thiago Silva, um, especially Ben Chirwell, that was my personal sort of favourite signing because it was the one I'd sort of been pushing a lot in terms of just getting a new left back. English bias. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming, Jay. <laughs> um so you know Ben Chirwell was was probably one of my favorite ones but Mendy too I, I think Mendy's probably if we were to analyze it in terms of who had the desired impact or the biggest impact based on what we paid for them or the expectation I think Mendy is the best signing based on his 2021 performance um and that was the, the last one it was the latest one and a lot of us didn't know who Mendy was you know I, you know hold my hand up and say unless you're an expert on French football didn't know his name, didn't didn't really know much about him. But of course, New Petrček had a big hand in in recruiting him, and the great story of his career, the incredible story of his career, made him a really interesting character to bring into the club. Um, so yeah, that was sort of my feelings. I, I guess it, it, it was all you know. It's all such a mess, isn't it? In terms of Ziash was way back in February 2020, wasn't it? It was it was as far back as that when this business started happening, and. The end of 1920 sort of filters into 2021 for me. It does. Like it, it's 
it feels like this season has been going on for almost 12 months. Um, and I know that's not logical because we did have a bit of a break between 1920 and 2021. But I don't know if you feel the same. It, 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 that's what I think has made this season feel as exhausting because we didn't really, there was kind of no break between the two seasons. I feel as though when Tuchel came, that's when a new season started. You know, not particularly original thing to say, but that's that's kind of what I felt. Um, obviously, the Lampard uh, stewardship, that felt very much as though it was sort of one season, one cumulative effort. On the signings, I thought, yeah, I thought Kai was a weird one. And Timo. I thought Timo was the weirdest, then Kai. Now, actually, no. I thought Timo, Ziesh, Kai were the weirdest in that and Those order. were the three biggest signings. They was, those were the 150 million. Mm. Actually, no. Ben Shaw obviously was 50 million. But in terms of the attacking signings, which everyone got most excited about, those were the three big sort of highlight ones that people made out in the summer. Yeah, which is really interesting because at the time, I thought we should have spent the money defensively because I was quite happy with the Tammy, Cho, Pulisic, Mount and coming off the back of Lampard's first season that's probably fair um, and I would have wanted someone to partner Tamori moving forward for Chilwell was God, the right signing a long time ago man man uh, do you know what someone commented on sorry to interrupt someone commented on yeah. my uh, predicted 11 I did a predicted 11 for this season back in April 2020. So I did like my 2021 <laughs> predict 11. And God, it had Alex Tellers in it. It had, who did it have? A, I think I still had Rudiger and Zuma as the back two. I had wow. Reese at right back. I had Kepper in goal. This is before the end of 1920 when I gave up on Kepper. <laughs> um, I had Kante in midfield. I had Mason in midfield. And I had Ruben in midfield. I went for a 4-3-3. Who did I... I think I had Ziyech, Pulisic and Tammy Abraham as my front three. So that was my... Nice midfield. That nice was midfield. my sort of predicted... You know, this, you've got to remember, this was before the end of 1920. This was, you know, Ruben was coming back from injury and there was rumours Tellez was seemed to be like going ahead of sort of Chilwell at the time in terms of the amount of left-back targets. So I just find it incredible to think about where we're at now and the things we're going to say in terms of when we start to preview next season of where we're going to be in a year's time. Will it be that wrong in terms of will be will be that sort of way off in terms of what this team's going to look like yeah you know, i only started the football work in the february of lampard's first season so i haven't been doing sort of football content and that kind of stuff for, for too long um so i missed all of the conversation prior to that um but yeah i i don't know i i think i, I bang the drum for Telez as well uh what a bad take that was. But it was, a, it was a popular one at the time. But he and, hasn't, unlike, say, Region, Tellers has been a backup to Shaw for the entirety of this season. Like, So yeah. I don't think you can fairly judge Tellers on the impact he's going to have at Man United, if he will have any impact at Man United, because Shaw is in the form of his career at the moment. But I think it's more, I think it's more, I couldn't imagine him having more of an impact than Jill Wells had. That's kind of what I'm saying. Not judging him specifically, but I, I don't know whether he would have been able to do what Chilwell's done. I was one of these people that I was very much my the price of Chilwell always sort of like, if Chelsea can get the price down, which they eventually did for Chilwell, I was like, yeah, 40 to 50 million. Yeah, 60, 70, 80 was always, I was a bit like, can we get a cheaper option here that adds the same impact? Um, but as I think we'll come on to, it's not just about 
the stats it's not just about the quality it's about the characters you bring in and i think maybe you could have question marks over you saying it was a little bit weird that we signed some players but i think other players lampard got absolutely spot on in terms of lampard and check in particular with chilwell and mendy mm-hmm. got two amazing characters in the door last summer i think tiago silver as well oh obviously that is of course an amazing signing and, and you know tiago silver you know because we were talking about center backs a lot of the time and there wasn't really any obvious ones on the market. You know, there wasn't ones that you'd say, I'm going to plow 50 million or 60 million on this player. And I was, I can't, I'm not going to deny, you can watch the video right now. I had my doubts about Thiago Silva, not in terms of the quality of the player. I had my doubts whether he could adapt at his age to the Premier League and how I happily I was proven wrong. I was convinced he was going to play 20 to 25 games. I would have been all right with that, but I, I, I didn't think he was going to be a starter. I thought he was going to be more Giroud, but a centre-back. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and there wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. And this is at a time when Kula Bali was valued over a hundred million. <laughs> so, you know, when when we got Thiago Silva in, so yeah, it, it was a weird one. I just felt I think the Timo one confused me the most because I didn't really know why. Whereas all the others, I I kind of got I, right. If Kai Havertz is available, you get Kai Havertz, right? That makes perfect sense. Lampard likes Yesh when he saw him. Fine, you know, as a manager's target, whatever. Thiago Silva speaks for himself. Ben Chilwell does the same thing, and Mendy, any keeper, is not great on Kepa at the time. And and we happen to. Get, do you know? I actually think Mendy's the best signing in European football of last summer. I don't think any team has got a player that's done twenty million pounds, wasn't it? Just over twenty million for for Mendy, and he's performed and he's at a world class level. I think he's a world class goalkeeper. I actually do. I don't think you can perform that at that level. You're a world class goalkeeper, I think. And yeah, I don't think any player has had such a, an impact at a side in, in in the way Mendy has where he's at, where he's won Champions League <laughs> it's it's absolutely wild in his first season so yeah you, you looking back at now the the cha- the transfer window was definitely a success but there's still a way to go and I didn't actually I didn't think all six players would 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 be the would hit do you know what I mean I thought one or two might not work um and I'm still not convinced overly on Ziyech, to be honest. Just stylistically. As a player, he's outstanding, but I'm not sure he works in this system. But it'll be interesting what happens next season. So, yeah, that was kind of the, the tumult of the Chelsea transfer window. I just, I also felt that we didn't actually get rid of enough players. Absolutely, yeah. That was that was one of the things that was brought up very early on in the season. Um, I remember deadline day, speaking about Emerson, Alonso, you felt sure one of the two was going to go. The fact that both stayed and both stayed the entirety of the season is staggering, really. Um, and it shows actually the, the struggle in the current market to, to sell players that you don't want, especially for bigger clubs who can offer big wages like Chelsea. Um, and that's probably going to be a challenge for the club this summer as well as we go into it. But that was another thing that I think, yeah, I, I think that maybe caused some issues for Lampard and I think did in the end in terms of a bigger squad than he would have wanted as a coach because every coach will have different levels to what they want in terms of their squad. Some coaches like Jose Mourinho wants a really small squad, wants to operate with about 14 to 15 players throughout a season, trusts them and and has a core unit. Whilst other coaches like Tuchel and Guardiola sort of a more modern approach to this sort of flexible rotating in and out personnel depending on the opposition, depending on what you want from that game. And um, absolutely, I think Tuchel will... I don't believe Tuchel will still want this 
level of squad next year. I just can't. I I think he's been very pragmatic and very diplomatic about what he's done. But we're getting obviously we're going into Tuchel now. But let's let's start the season. Chelsea won our first game away from home at the Amex, three-one. Uh, goals from Jorginho, a thunderbolt from Reese James, and a Kurt Zuma goal from a corner uh, got the three points. Uh, then a week later, obviously we can't go in depth on every game because it'd be a fucking like twenty four hours. Um, lost two 0 to Liverpool. If you remember, Christensen got a red card on that game, um, and it was at that point I, I remember there was discussion around Tamori maybe getting another chance under Lampard, and we we're sort of getting into the end of the transfer window. Were players going to stay? Were players going to go? Rudiger not being in the squad at this point, we felt very certain that he was going to be on on his way out of Chelsea. We thrashed Barnsley 6 0. That's where Kai Abbott's got his first hat trick for Chelsea, his first goals. We then had a crazy 3 3 draw against West Brom, then lost on penalties to Spurs. I remember our first conversation, Jay, on my channel, I think was the day after we lost on penalties to Spurs. Um, and at this point, there was a little bit of unrest around the start of the season. It hadn't gone really the way we'd hoped it would have, based on the preseason expectations and the new signings. Uh, just take us back to that point because it was a rocky start, wasn't it? It, it was quite a chaotic one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't ever think there's a time as a Chelsea fan where it's not chaotic. So, yeah, yeah, it was chaotic, but it's meant to be. I think it's meant to be that way. Um, yeah, for me, it was, it was very much. I, I felt early on that lamps wasn't able to manage th- those personalities as well as perhaps he had thought he might have been able to. And those, the cracks were beginning to show. I mean, the three-all at West Brom, oh, what an awful, awful day. It's three. It is three. Bartley popped it in. At half time. I remember, I remember sitting, me and my dad were watching it and just being in complete shock at half time. It's one. It might be. It's one of the worst halves of football I've ever seen, genuinely. So, yeah, and I just think that at that point, the new signings, coupled with the existing issues that were present in the team, they didn't harmonise. They just polarised things further, and and that was. Yeah, that was beginning to show because obviously the open day of the season was, was pretty positive. Get off to a good start. I mean, you expect to beat Brighton, but in hindsight, Brighton have actually been really quite solid. Uh, the season just gone. Um, obviously, the league table hasn't quite reflected that, but that has been the case. But yeah, it, fe- it still felt disjointed. It felt tactically naive and there wasn't the nicest feeling around the club. Do you know what I mean? It was the first time under Lampard you got a feeling of discontent on social media that was starting to bubble up and the pressure was starting to be there. That's what I felt. Um, And we're only a couple of games into the season. We beat Palace 4-0 before the first international break of the season, which was a really good result. I think that's the first time we saw Thiago Silva and Kurt Zuma, who scored that day, form a a really good partnership. And and that was a partnership that was going to last for for a few weeks under Lampard. Uh, Ben Chirwell, after being injured at the start of the season, so missed the first few games, scored his first goal for Chelsea as well. So even though the attack wasn't really hitting the the heights we'd hoped for, and that was a consistent theme, as you'll see throughout the whole season, it never really hit the heights we dreamed of. Um, the defence, I think, was start. we could start to see that there was going to be improvement defensively um, with this squad. 
Um, and then post the international break, we had another free-free draw, a crazy draw with Southampton. Timo Werner scoring his first two Premier League goals with Chelsea. Up towards Werner. He's got in behind again here. And Timo Werner has scored again. It's all about that assist. Just puts enough little bit of whip on that and take it away from both centre-halves. The finish is extremely calm. Lobbing over McCarthy. The attacking header finish. Mental game absolutely mental and it was those same problems we'd seen under Lampard in the previous season where Chelsea lose complete control of a game we lose all of our fluidity in attack our confidence on the boys shot and again this is where pressure really ramps up I think on Lampard at this point because at least online based on the discussions I think people were having was you know is it going to go completely off the rails here it felt like a point where I think the next few games, I think Lampard had to sort of get it right. This whole sort of opening half, three quarters of the narrative that we're putting together is is going to be very Lampard heavy because, it, I mean, just thinking about it, it, even gives me goosebumps just now. It's it's like I've never seen the fan base want something to work more than when Lampard joined, and yeah, it just once again just. It's really bizarre watching a team, not not just Chelsea, but other teams, it's, it happens to as well. When things just start going wrong and there's literally no way of um, of getting back into the game. I sort of, every time we went 1-0 down, I, I just knew we weren't going to come back. Do you know what I mean? And, and Timo taking his time to get the goals in, obviously... Kai got the hat-trick against Barnsley and everyone got very excited, but I mean, Jesus, he's a £72 million player. I mean, he should score goals against Barnsley and Barnsley been excellent this season, actually, but Barnsley, but yeah, it's, uh, it felt very, very much like gruelling Barclays of like, you know when you used to watch the Premier League highlights and you'd just see some mid-table clubs just slogging it out <laughs> every week. It felt very much like that and yeah, I don't know. As fans, there was a bit of, you know, disharmony. There was debate around whether this project, in air quotes project, um, is working, will work. What can we do? Why things have gone so wrong? And also, at this point in time, I believe the Tamori debacle begins to become a a bigger talking point, right? Or is that f- slightly further down the line? It's further down the line because we're not in January. I, and I think I do want to stress this next run of games because it's easily forgotten, this run of games. And I know a lot of people dismiss it because of the opposition we beat and to go oh, on wow. this unbeaten run. But I have to say that because we go, this is sort of a block of games, right? So Lampard starts to get clean sheets against Sevilla and Man United. Pretty dull games, but you keep, we're starting to look a little bit more coherent defensively. We smash Krasnodar 4-0. Ziyech, um gets his first goal, I think, on that night. We beat Burnley 3-0. That was a very good performance. This was when he'd switched then to a, a 4-3-3 because he'd been playing a 4-2-3 one up to this point. And he put Kante as lone DM and he put Kai and Mason as the two eights in front of it, which a lot of people would be sort of been calling for. I distinctly remember against... Um, Krasnodar, we were 1-0 up, but the game was sort of drifting 
away from us and I remember he made like three or four subs that changed the formation and suddenly everyone got quite excited in the final 20 minutes against Krasnodar and we went to 4-3-3 uh, we beat Sheffield United 4-1 that was I think Hakim Ziyech's best performance for Chelsea so far in his career that was an amazing night for him uh, in the middle of that we beat Ren 3-0 so things are starting to to click I think you know cautiously optimistic about the side we then beat Newcastle. So winning at St. James's Park is always a, a rarity in the Chelsea season. So you start to think, okay, something's going right here. Uh, we drew 0-0 to Tottenham in a really cagey game. Uh, at that point, it's easy to forget now, Chelsea and Tottenham were the top two teams in the Premier League. That was kind of a top-of-the-table clash. And it was it was a feeling that both of these sides could potentially mount a title challenge. We then smashed Sevilla 4-0. Olivier Giroud scoring all four goals. So he basically wrapped up the group. And then this is... Probably the height of Lampard's tenure, right? This is this is the point. First weekend of December, we beat Leeds 3-1. This is when fans, 2,000 fans, were inside Stamford Bridge. It was a really good evening. I think the intensity of performance was so good. Beating Leeds is always big for Chelsea. And we were top of the league once again. Werner, can he make this one count? Looks for Pulisic. That's it. The counter-attack kills off Leeds United. And propels Chelsea to the top of the Premier League. Now, I do want to stress this because it's very easy in retrospect to go, everything went wrong in the first half of the season. It didn't. We were top of the league in December. And this was a side that looked more consistent, looked more coherent. I think Lampard knew what he wanted from the team. And it was performing at a much better level. Then it all starts to go wrong. And that's where we get into chapter two, learn to separate. Well, I want to say firstly, I think... That Giroud performance against Sevilla was this, besides Kante, in the final few games of Champions League, like Champions League, that was the best performance of any Chelsea player this season. That Giroud performance against Sevilla was unbelievable. The right foot chip finish was, I think that's my goal of the season, genuinely. It was insane. Or to be fair, his header against Wren as well, because that, that was a game-changing uh, goal. So, yeah, big up Giroud doing what he has to do. Mate, I was really on the side of don't please don't get gassed about this run of unbeaten results because every team there I expected to beat. Every single team there I expect to beat. It, it's, you know, saying that, it doesn't always happen. In fact, it rarely does happen. But, oh, come on. Do you know what I mean? I really, genuinely... I expected to win every single one of those games. And we've done well, and we're top of the league. But then, obviously, that same month, Southampton were top of the league. <laughs> it was a... And, and it's worth it's worth just saying, bigger pitch, you know, this is... You know, is this around the time where, uh, you know, Liverpool concede seven to Villa? They they conceded seven right at the start of the season. I think it was like... When did, when did United play Spurs? United played Spurs in early October, I want to say, mid-October. Yeah, so the games the games were absolutely Man insane. City were really struggling, you know, Man City did not get going yeah. until when they played us in January as we'll get to very soon. And and even on the continent, I mean, big big teams were were losing games, you, you know, PSG are the, are the prime example this season, Juventus as well, where it just seemed as though sort of covid and football was not working for for a lot of teams and actually the the play the playing field was much more even. For, for a period of time than it than it was uh, towards the end. But good for the team, good for the fans, good for Lampard, that unbeaten run. Um, 
but yeah it really really was what we should be doing I was always of the belief that I looked at the fixtures and I remember making a video in the November international break when we were like top two or whatever and things were going starting to go well on the Lampard and I said the next 10 Premier League games will define what happens this season we were getting into that period we had a lot of tricky games we had Everton, Wolves, West Ham, Arsenal, Aston Villa, Man City coming up and I said if we're still in this position at the end at the start of January then we're probably going to be in a title race and I'd, I'd watched Chelsea in the previous what was it now three seasons have a really promising start to the year and then hit winter and it all goes wrong so I was very much of the belief that until that changes I'm always going to believe that Chelsea are going to drop off in this sort of period and unfortunately that's what happened in the space of about four days I think it was because we played Everton on the Saturday night and then Wolves on the Tuesday evening the whole mood around Chelsea changed uh, we lost 1-0 uh, at Goodison Park because we usually do we lose, lose at Goodison Park pretty tepid performance um, Hakim Ziyech got injured against Leeds which I think was a massive part of at least the lack of creativity we started to have on the Lampard because I think Lampard put so much faith in Ziyech him and Reese forming a really good partnership and when Ziyech went out the team I think Hudson-Odoi got injured as well which gave which limited Frank's options in sort of the attacking wide players so I think Kai against Everton was out wide on the right and he had a really poor performance Wolves, we went 1-0 up thanks to Olivier Giroud in the second half. But as has happened a lot of the time under Lampard, second halves go against us or we lose control. And a very, very late Neto winner. Touch of basketball right at the end of the game. It's Neto! Surely wins it for Wolverhampton Wanderers right at the end of the game in the fifth minute of stoppage time in literally the last kick of the game. Oh, it was dreadful. Um, it was a counter-attacking goal in the 94th minute as well. I mean, I don't... I don't Kante running back, Thiago Silva, nowhere to be seen, of course, because he'd been exposed once again. It was a similar problem where Chelsea just lost all sense of game management. And going into the West Ham game at home on the Monday, once again, as it is at Chelsea, you lose two games, suddenly you're in a crisis, and that's the way this club yeah. works. Um, and we really needed a performance. We didn't really get a performance against West Ham, but we got the result. Two goals from Tammy Abraham um, and Thiago Silva scoring ahead of two. It was the first time in the season we'd beaten a top 10 team. That was a thing that was hanging over Lampard's head. We hadn't done well against top 10 teams. And then you were like, okay, we've, we've won when we haven't played well. We're going to go into Christmas at least with a win on the backs. And then we get to Boxing Day. Um, and this for me is the point where it does... This is where it tips over. I think Arsenal is the game that sort of is the beginning. Wait, well, of course, it's the it was the, of the worst end. game of the season. It was. I don't but think we that we... Now that and the West Brom five two. Not good enough. First half not good enough. Second half, yeah, good enough. But um, mountain to climb. And when you when you um, attack a game the way we did, attack's definitely the wrong word. But things like the Saka goal happen because you don't deserve luck. Um, we fought second half, people that came on added speed, energy, um, intensity into our game, but that should be a given from the start. I have to say though, we are going to get to an even worse game. I, I personally think there's a worse game than Arsenal, because at least we scored against Arsenal. But the, an absolutely dreadful, dreadful, dreadful performance. Um, I, don't, I don't know what... I, this is the thing, and in the articles that were released a month later, basically, about Frank's departure cite this game in particular Marina Granovskaya this is the point where I think she 
they report in the Athletics she had enough basically that we'd lost to a team that were near the relegation zone Arsenal were in horrendous form hopeless form and somehow they beat us 3-1 and and this was when I remember at this point I was going on Nini FC's channel and we had, he had like every guest on possible in the Chelsea community um, and we were having Lampard in and out debates uh, with the exception of Jay McIntosh, of course. Um, I remember having crisis talks <laughs> with Jay McIntosh on my channel in early January. Because when between... did we go on Goldberg's pod? Because that's when we met. Isn't that it? was oh, at the start. That was after Liverpool at the start of the season, man. Was it? Wow. Jesus. But anyway, before the Man City game, we had Aston Villa at home, where once again Chelsea looked good in the first half. We go one 0 up thanks to another Olivier Giroud goal. But then El Ghazi, who would score against us on the final day of the season, uh, equalised. And once again, it was sort of a tepid, not really convincing performance. Uh, Villa probably could have won the game. I think John McGinn hit the bar, could have scored a weldy. Um, And the discussion over Lampard really hadn't changed. And there was a lot of people now believing that it was was the beginning of the end. They wanted him gone. Um, but the debate was starting to turn very hostile on social media. I do. We we could have made a whole podcast about this point, but I think it's relevant to to bring it up now. This is when, for me, based on what I'd seen under Sari, you saw a lot of similar things crop up. Social media became not a very nice place to be. An um, awful, an awful place to be, really. Whatever your sta- stance at this point, I know Jay, you came. I don't know when you. I remember we've we've had discussion since you came to a point where you felt that it was time for Lampard to move on. Yeah, yeah. Perfectly valid position. I have no problem with anyone holding that position, absolutely. Um, but there were, me and Jay, Jay, we've had these conversations before, that this absolutely got pretty bad. I mean, I'd, I'd argue because Frank was in the centre of it, it was even worse than Sarri's time. Yeah, Joff, it was the Arsenal result when I was just like, I, I didn't want him to go. But I, I wanted him. It just wasn't working. And he knows what it is. And the club knows what it is. And it was I was so, so concerned because of the, the conversations on social media that Lampard would lose his shine. Um you know that that that's obviously not the case. If if you're a Chelsea fan, you don't rate Frank Lampard, I mean <laughs> Well, yeah, but it it was it was very much at the, at the Arsenal game, and then you know the City game, two games. So City was two games after, right? We had Arsenal, then then Villa, then City, right? City, man, that first forty-five against City, uh, it, again dreadful, and it was just like it was too disjointed. There was nothing was working. You, as a Chelsea fan, you know that change is going to be coming despite Lampard being there. And it was very much the debate was, well, give him more time. You know what this was. And that was, that was for me, that was the issue because the only reason I didn't want him at Chelsea anymore was to protect Lampard. More, I, If he was still our manager, I would be happy. I, I, I definitely would. I love I love him what he is one of my I got three idols in my life across anything and he's one of the three and uh, he, utterly unbelievable person but at the time it wasn't working and and he knows what Chelsea Football Club is he's played there for long enough to know how how it works and you know he fell victim to that and and it it was very much needed I think for for a new for a new face to come in to try again and and to, to bring in a, a real class manager who essentially had a bit of a free hit 
Well, because there were discussions so. about if Lampard was... To, I remember listening to a lot of discussions at this point, like, is it going to be an interim? Um, I do... I On full-time... On the full-time whistle against Man City, the Athletic dropped their piece that Chelsea were looking for a new manager. We then beat Morecambe oh, 4 wow. Do you it, remember when that dropped? Yeah, that, when, when that, that dropped. I was on... I think I was on Matisse's stream. I'd agreed for some reason, like uh, with hindsight, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll go on your stream. And then it was like the worst performance of the season. And then I was on the stream and I remember I'd done my review and then I looked at my phone and, and the athletic article popped up and I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. A couple of days before that, Dami and I interviewed Liam Toomey and he was saying about, there's a piece that's going to like, that they're working on just waiting on the right time. And then when it dropped, I was like, oh no, you just saw, as soon as your tweet comes out and you see the numbers just changing on screen, I was like, wow, this is, this is getting real. And, and the problem was, not the problem, but I trust what Liam Toomey has to say about the club. These are the best, but these are like some of the best reporters. If yeah. Matt Law says it, if Simon Johnson says it, if, if yeah, Liam Toomey says it, you were, you were talking about the most reliable Justice people. Sources, it's yeah. just not, this is not, that's what made it such a dread from personally for me. Bois. <laughs> you know, it's it's like you know, it's this is not indie. What is his name? Indie Cali or something? You know, the you know, the, yeah. this is not like ITK. This is people who who know what they're they're talking about. We did beat Morecambe though in the FA Cup. Uh, Frank played basically mm. his first team against Morecambe in the. You know, he, this is where we got to. Um, Mason Mount, um, who we haven't actually brought up yet in terms of a shining light for the first half of the season, um, scored against Fulham in a pretty dreadful game where Fulham were down to 10 men for 45 minutes but we never looked like scoring and then Mason of course as he'd done multiple times this season stepped up with the winner which it did feel like basically saved Lampard at that point it released saved him for a bit so he had two wins but then we went into the Leicester game and it's a chance for 2-0 at the other end and it's put away by Madison a loop ball he kept running into the box not one of his most spectacular goals, but a very important one. And it's Leicester 2, Chelsea 0. The Leicester game for me is the worst performance of the season um, because it was just hopeless. I was like you, this is not in hindsight. When the first goal went in, I felt it was over. I could tell. Yeah. Do you know yeah, when you yeah. just watch, you've watched enough football to see when they just haven't got it. There's just nothing there. Um, I can't believe it actually was only 2 0. Because I, I remember Leicester having a few chances. I think Mendy saved us a few times and maybe they'd missed a few big chances. But all around the team, Kovacic was playing DM for some reason. Um, Kante was injured once again. And there was a lot of us calling for Billy Gilmore to be given a chance. And it was weird because Lampard in his first season had taken risks. You know, he'd put Billy Gilmore in there and given him a chance in key Premier League games like against Everton and, and playing against uh, Liverpool too. But for some reason, this time, Billy wasn't given that opportunity. And Kovacic, who'd never played as a DM for us in a, in a 4-3-3, basically as a lone DM. So he basically had no midfield that night. Um, and it, it was a complete disaster. And at halftime, my dad said to me, I think it's the end for Frank. I think the most painful thing was, maybe this is across football, you see it when, you know, the slow zoom into the, 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 the depressed manager at the sidelines. And it was just, I have to agree, even though I didn't want it to happen, I was a bit, in retrospect, it was just not nice anymore. It was not enjoyable. Making videos about it wasn't enjoyable. Being online in the Chelsea community wasn't really enjoyable. I was seeing, like you, an icon, a hero of mine, his name tarnished, and it was getting into very unsavory places. If you, 
from my point of view and obviously there'd be people on the other side who would in the other side who, who didn't you who felt that it was time for frank to go who would, who would probably get abuse on this as well but personally where i stood it was just the accusations coming at you and sort of anything you said was being twisted and it just it was becoming so unsavory we beat luton 3-1 in the fa cup and this is when mason mount was first handed the captaincy at chelsea um which I think was a massive day personally for him. So sick. So, it was so, so cool. And I think makes what happened a day later even more emotional. Um, Frank didn't... I did hear reports that Frank kind of knew... He was apparently saying... The Athletic reported that he was saying goodbye to players at the end of the Leicester game, but apparently didn't know he was going to be sacked till Monday. So I don't know how true that is. Frank, I'm guessing, knew the writing was on the wall, but maybe even though he said, honestly, I, I didn't know until Monday. Well, you, you weren't officially told until Monday. But we beat Luton and Jay, did you, because we'd won, did you think, well, he's at least going to be given a couple more games here? No, no way. As soon as Mount was captain, you knew, you absolutely knew that that was, uh, that was him signing off. And, you know, we haven't touched on the Tamori issue. And, Do you remember and when Frank that's... was being called a liar? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is how I'm saying. This is you see. This is the thing. It's very easy as champions of Europe now to forget this stuff. But I remember not nice stuff. This is where it got overboard. Where I saw people who you know who I've interacted with and I respect with labeling Frank Lampard a liar, and it's just it gets to a point where you just think it made me more like it's one of these things on social media. You get entrenched in your own beliefs, right? So I go, I'm going to double down. Unfortunately, and this is this is one of those things where it's like. Tomori should he been playing more shouldn't he have been playing more um his whole sort of loan move that was apparently going to happen in the summer but then didn't actually happen to late January when he eventually went to AC Milan and as they say the rest is history so you did bring that up earlier Jay but yeah it was this was where it really I think bubbled over in the final days of, of Lampard's tenure yeah and and obviously the Mason Mount captaincy was evidently his um it was his sort of goodbye in a way. And it was very prescient, actually, especially towards the end of the season, how Mount has a- has been able to convince the sceptics, for the most part, of his ability and, and giving him the cap. I, th- yeah, I think I've said it so many times. I think he should be Chelsea captain anyway. Um, but I hear that when Asby's here, it's Asby's, Asby's the captain. But I think it should be Mount, uh, if not. But yeah, no, the, the Morecambe game, I mean, Jesus, it... <laughs> Any result, it doesn't matter. And I, I knew I knew from that point, as soon as Mount was captain, you, you just knew, right? And that was, that was what it is. And I, I don't want to get into the sort of the things people are saying about Lampard um, because I feel like they're probably quite unfounded and very reactionary, very toxic. Um, I, I, he's not a liar. He's not that type of person. And... Again, he's an icon and an idol for people like you and I because you feel as though you know him. Um, he's very, very honest, very open, very articulate. Was aware that there were divisions within the squad, which there probably still are, um, despite all the success that's followed. But yeah, it was it was time for him to uh, to take a break. Can I just point this out on... as well? He yeah, remember the the pre Luton press conference where basically he called out Liam Toomey. I remember making a video after that yeah. being like, is this like him, his last throw of the dice is to be really aggressive in a press conference. I think in retrospect, it was him going, I know I'm about to be sacked. I'm just going to, I don't care anymore, basically. And it was sad because it was, Frank 
was such a good talker and has been throughout you know his whole time at Chelsea but as a spokesperson for the club I always felt like he met struck the right tone said the right things but you know he went after Liam Toomey he probably didn't you know didn't deserve that score at that time because <laughs> he's a very good reporter around Chelsea um, yeah. and it was about the Kai Havertz piece was I mean I think Lambot has a burner account because you know just to sorry to get into the really specifics here I think what he was referring to was the the post if someone had screenshotted it and shown it to him I I wonder as well if a player had gone to him and shown him this um because Liam Toomey it was something about analyzing Kai Havertz's performance against Leicester and it was like how am I supposed to tell my kids that Kai didn't make this pass or something like that that I think Liam Toomey had tweeted when he was sharing his article and it just got quite weird actually that you know to see Frank be that hostile in that environment because he's always been such a collected calm respected figure um, and maybe that was a sign that you know it was a breaking point and he, and he was going to leave and of course on the Monday it drops from Matt Law. Chelsea have actually now officially um, have, have officially now uh, announced it okay I, I, we'll get back to that in a minute I'm just going to find it all we know that Roman Ivanovic has said it's a, a really difficult uh, decision to make. That week was whiplash I don't know if we should cover the Wolves game because it was such a weird game um, it it was just it, whiplash is the only way to describe it it was such a mental week full of different emotions for different people involved at the club I do want to point out that Thomas Tuchel's press conference, which I've gone back and watched again pre-Burnley, it's not his interviews against Wolves, it's his first press conference, which I think was on the Thursday, is one of the best Chelsea press conferences from a manager of all time. I think it will go up there with Jose Mourinho's special one press conference. Um, The demeanour he had, the way he spoke, the way he respected Frank, the way he set out his vision for Chelsea, it's very easy now to say, oh, how brilliant it was because... You know, for, you know, I've got a picture behind me, of course, of us lifting the European Cup. So it's very easy to say that now. But I remember being in not a great place surrounding my mood around Chelsea. And I remember Tuchel really... I remember sitting up on my chair and being excited about this figure. And I wanted to get behind him. And why Chelsea? Why not? I mean... There was the... It was... It was uh, the opportunity. So one of the biggest clubs in the world in the in the most competitive league of the world i'm very excited about the the mixture of the of the team i'm i'm very excited about the the structure of the club and um the first days were amazing and um yeah i'm absolutely aware that um at some point uh, everybody expects results but honestly i'm i'm doing that of myself uh, all the time well i mean i was very pro tuchel when the sort of manager who's going to come in debate was about um for some reason people were not particularly convinced but fortunately he was one of my good like better shouts this season should i say i was very happy to see him come in and 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 uh if I'm honest, I didn't expect to see for him to be so good with the media because I'd seen so much fire come from him um, at PSG that I was expecting an, another sort of hot-tempered guy. But he's come in very placid and and very very respectful and and actually that's not changed at all. I don't think so. I was I was more than happy to see him come in. And I was very excited about what he would do to players like Callum, Puli, Kai, Timo. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great that he came in and, and actually he conducted himself in such a way that 
the Lampard abuse kind of stopped. Do you know what I mean? Is it is it egotistical to bring up the article I wrote for Chelsea Social now? No, not at all. Because obviously, it was actually a few weeks into Tuchel's tenure, I think. I believe it was after the Newcastle game, actually. So this is a few weeks. So his first few results, we beat Burnley 2-0. He reinstates the 3-4-3, which we all remember from Conte. We're seeing Callum as an adroit right wing back. And it feels like Callum is going to be a massive player under Tuchel. A bit like maybe Mason was under Lampard. Um, we beat Spurs 1-0. Um, this is one of Tuchel's first big away performances. One of his big away games or big games for Chelsea fans that he gets right tactically. We win the game 1-0 and that sets us on the right path, getting back into the top four. Beat Sheffield United 2-1. We progress to, to the quarterfinals, I think it was, of the FA Cup beating Barnsley 1-0. Comfortably beat uh, Newcastle 2-0. But then we draw to Southampton 1-1. So that's the first batch of games under Tuchel. And this is pre, when we get into this really dreaded run, the Atletico, two-legged tie, Man United, Liverpool, Everton, Leeds. You know, there was, I think I was of the belief that you were about Lampard, you know, in terms of those uh, easier run of games. I was stressing that, we're going to have to wait and see. Once we get to this tougher run, we've had a, we've had winnable games in this run, with the exception of the Spurs one. But Spurs were awful at the time. Um, so, how did you sort of measure those opening games? Because they were very positive. You know, um, Tucker was doing things within the team that excited people. We got some big results, and it felt like we were back on the right path. And it was at least a little bit of calm once again about Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I felt pretty good to see the the three back return. I'm a big fan of it, to be honest. I was perplexed at some of the players that were getting a lot of minutes at the time. Namely, Rudiger was one that surprised me an awful lot because he was, I mean, he was on the way out. Um, Alonso as well. I mean, he came in from the cold and, and done a decent job. But yeah, Tuchel really galvanised the team quickly. Um, and he he done fantastically, if I'm honest, and, and continued to do so. And I was very much surprised that it was going this well. But thinking about it, you know, him trying to sign Rudiger at PSG, him trying to sign Kante at PSG, having Thiago with him. It, I mean, that, that there makes things easier straight away. And I didn't expect this style from him of management where it's been a little bit more conservative, maybe through necessity more so than anything else. But yeah, I was, um, I was really, really impressed. And, and as you know, mate, that, that continued. So yeah, I was, I was more than happy to see him come in and, uh, you know, try a few different things like Cho or Pooley at right wing back, for example, though, that was kind of exciting and, and a bit different. Do you know what I mean? I've spoken a lot about this article that, that I wrote for, for the Cho social. I remember sending it to Jay and, you know, cause at the time I was still, you know, I'm not going to hide away from it, despite the fact everything, you know, turned out okay and the fact we won a Champions League. You know, I was in a very weird place watching Chelsea at the time. Obviously, I was making videos consistently, but I think the response I got from an article mean that, you know, the the amazing response was that I think a lot of people felt similar in a sense that they were happy to see the team winning again. They were absolutely behind Tuchel. There was no problem with Tuchel, but the after effects of Lampard leaving hurt more than any other head coach, you know, leaving and being sacked. It was it was going to take a long time. I think for some people, that pain of that day of him being sacked was going to take longer than other other coaches because I don't need yeah, to explain yeah. to you why that is. I think, you know, I, I'm sick and tired of trying to explain this. If you understand Chelsea, you understand why it was going to take longer. But for me personally, 
Um, and this was just before we did our first podcast. The result that maybe got me away from that thinking was Liverpool. Certainly Chelsea have worked on Mount. To go for goal himself here and he finds it. It's brilliant from Mason Mount. He doesn't look up, he just knows he's got the edge on Fabinho. He's not going to get that leg out. A great finish. A fantastic young player. Uh, no, no. The result that cheered you up was me dropping you a message saying you should do a podcast. Um, I have just skipped over the Atletico 1-0 and, of course, uh, Giroud's bicycle kick, the amazing bicycle kick. Um, because the last 16, I mean, this is where the, the Champions League dream kind of with Tuchel kind of fully gets going. And, um, of course, we hadn't won a, a knockout tie for seven years. It's something that I think needs to be stressed. We, you know, we hadn't done it. I think there was a lot of doubt over where we could do it. It was for us at the time. It was like it was seen as if we could just get past the last sixteen, this would be seen as a uh, success in the, in the Champions yeah, League, sure. wasn't it? But it wasn't about well, winning it. Tuchel was still on a bit of a free hit. He worked himself into a position where he wasn't on a free hit. But at this at this point in time, it was definitely, well, this is not the draw we wanted. So let's see what we can do, and, and try our absolute best and hope that Porto beat Juventus. And, and and that's yeah, that's exactly what happened. Giroud's goal, probably for a lot of people, is the goal of the season. Uh, and yeah, what a moment that was to to beat Atletico. But it was it was again it was tenuous because we had to do it again. Do you know what I mean? We had to go again, um, and we had to do a Merseyside double between the two games. Right? We had we had Liverpool, Everton, then Leeds, then the second Atletico game. I know we've had many amazing performances in this Champions League run, but that was truly outstanding. The the quality, the control, and it very much set the tone, didn't it, that Atletico second leg of what we were going to see for the rest of the campaign, actually, in terms of the way Chelsea would go about these these very intense and pressurised uh, Champions League uh, fixtures. It's, it's really interesting to talk about Mount becoming a really big game player for Chelsea, isn't it? But <laughs> again, we, we, <laughs> we've spoken about Mount to death on this podcast, on the timeline as well. So, you know, d- d- winning at Liverpool on poor form, but we still had to go there and win. Everton were a bit of a, a mixed bag. And then the Leeds game, again, I wasn't too concerned because I, I believe we should have won that game about 3-0. But Leeds actually played really well in Credit to Leeds, they, they they had a very good season and they they played very very intelligently against us. Um, but then obviously, I, f- I feel as though from what are the dates? So from the twenty third of February when we beat Atletico to the seventeenth of April when we beat Man City in the FA Cup semi final, it's a very very weird, odd period where. You know, so under Lampard, when we started to wobble, we'd just go off the rail straight away. Whereas we wobbled a little bit and then Tuchel got straight back on it. And and that was, for me, that was a real point in the season where I was like, OK, right, well, this guy's a serious manager. We're getting the results we need to get. We're perhaps not playing the most dynamic, fluid football, but, you know, results. It's all about results and and that's what we got. And... uh so yeah, we obviously drew 0-0 to Leeds and then we went to the, the second game against Atletico, right? Uh, I mean, how, how did you feel about that that result? Because that, I think that's that's top three 
results this season, maybe. 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 I thought that I was going into it with the belief that, yeah, this is going to be really tough. Atletico Madrid have won massive away Champions League ties before when they've been up against it. You go back 12 months when they beat Liverpool away from home. They've beaten some of the best, you know, Bayern Munich teams under Pep Guardiola. So it's it was a massive test of this squad psychologically for me. You know, Mason was suspended. Uh, Jorginho was suspended for the game. Zuma was playing in the middle of a back three because Christensen got, I think, was I think was ill. He didn't get injured, but he missed the game. And Christensen, Dave and Rudiger had been forming a really good partnership at that back three, which would then become very important in the final. But just the way we controlled Atletico and absolutely nullified all of their biggest threats looked so good in attack as well. I think Werner, it was one of Werner's better games this season in terms of he didn't actually miss any big chances, but he was so effective in the counter-attack. I think you could see that Tuchel's pragmatic approach was going to really work for Chelsea in Europe. He could quite clearly set up a team to counter very effectively. Ziyech scored a big goal. That was, I think that was the first time we saw Werner and Ziyech combine quite well. Um, and Kai had a good night too. So so there was you were starting to see the, the levels this team could reach. And it's weird because this season has been so hard to process in terms of individual results have been impossible to process at times. Um, the Champions League final is the only one I've been able to actually savor and actually have so much time to really digest. But some of these performances deserved more days to process, you know, because they were so big. But you saw off the pitch in the stands, Thiago Silva, um, was it Thiago Silva, Mason and Jorginho celebrating the Emerson goal in the final moments. You could see the squad unity there. And then the draw for the quarterfinal happened and we got Porto. And then we knew if in the second, in the semifinal, sorry, we could face either Real or Liverpool. And I remember sitting on my channel going, there's a chance here. There, We have got a, we have got the best possible... I'm, I, this is not disrespectful to Porto. I celebrated when we got Porto in the draw because I felt, okay, we've got an amazing chance to get to the semifinal here. And the Champions League was just suddenly the parallels to 2012 are coming up. We were into the semifinal with the FA Cup as well. And this could go from like a season that was absolutely on the ropes or getting very exhausting in, in January to becoming one of the best we've ever had. So um, I guess now we go into the final chapter, which is which I've titled Intangibles um, because I think we had some very low moments. I mean, maybe the last chapter of the season, Jay, really summarizes the season in total because we had some real low moments in this period, the final period of the season, but we had some incredible highs too and the biggest high of them all to end it. We had the West Brom catastrophe once again. Another, I don't know what it was about West Brom. The 5-2 defeat, an absolute mental game. I remember being on this pod, we we, we analysed the game and were quite depressed about the midfield once again. And maybe something I said, uh, people still remind me of to this day, so I appreciate, I appreciate it. But as you say, you know, Tuchel got it back on track with a brilliant performance um, away, away because both legs took, took place in Sevilla. Uh, the 2-0 win, Mason Mount, Another big goal. This was another one to add to the list in the first half. The turn and strike into the bottom corner. And Ben Chilwell recreating the Fernando Torres moment, rounding the keeper. Here's Ben Chilwell. He's in. Can Chilwell get the goal? He's around the goalkeeper and he walks it in. And Ben Chilwell scores in the Champions League for the very first time. And that's a massive goal for Chelsea. 2-0 they lead on the night. I was really excited going into that semi-final as well. That Ben Chilwell goal was outstanding, by the way. And it's worth mentioning, at this point, Chilwell had been slightly out in the cold, right? Well, they were still, the de- cold, but- 
he started he'd been out the comp the start of Tuchel and he started to because he was sort of in and out it felt like there was a period wasn't it where it was like is he just going to swap between Chirwell and Alonso for every game you weren't quite sure every single game yeah. which player was I always felt that Ben Chirwell was going to eventually be the first yeah. choice but I was it seemed like in some Premier League games Alonso would be chosen and then in some Champions League games Chirwell would be the man I think Tuchel was waiting for one of them to elevate and Chilwell elevated far beyond what people maybe perceived he could have been. Uh, he's he's faster than people give him credit for. He's gifted on the ball. He's, he's technically very good. Eye for goal, good passer as well. So Chilwell really stepped up in these moments and, and credit to him. And, and he sort of began running with the pack as opposed to being sort of stuck behind. And uh, So yeah, so yeah fair, fair play to, to Chilwell there. I want to jump forward to the weekend when we beat Man City 1-0 in the FA Cup semi-final. Um, yeah. That was a massive performance and, of course, was the first time Guardiola and Tuchel would face each other as Chelsea and Man City head coaches. And it felt like a really big tactical battle that Tuchel won. Um, at this point, we didn't know that we were going to see it a further two times. Um, we knew we'd, we'd at least see it one more time, of course, in the Premier League. I felt that was a massive performance and it's easier. Of course, it's very lazy, maybe easy now to say because you link it, even though it was in the FA Cup, we didn't win the FA Cup, you link it to the Champions League because it was part of the Pep versus Tuchel trilogy. Um, but that performance in itself was a sh- once again proof that Tuchel in these big games can orchestrate something you know magical and, and orchestrate some big performances and get players in the right positions. And the base of that team that, that day against the majority, I think, of that team against um, Man City in the FA Cup semi-final, with the exception of Havertz, who didn't start, was the team that would go on to start the European Cup final for Tuchel. Yeah, I thought the Man City game was really impressive. And actually, I'd argue that all three of the games against Man City, we deserved to win. And now was the first time we got a big result, a big result that we deserved. And I think, and as well, like I, I didn't believe the Champions League was possible until about the 96th minute of the final. I really didn't. It was such a surreal tournament, but the FA Cup for me, it was always league, FA Cup, Champions League because I thought the Champions League was so far out of reach. And when we got to an FA Cup final, I was very, very happy because for the, for the squad to win a trophy, I just thought was so important. Um, coming so close the season before and then beating the favourites and beating them well, watching Timo play. Timo had a great game that game. I've been so did Ziyech. And, and yeah, it was it was it was really nice, and uh, it was a, it was a result worth savouring. You know, in the end, it didn't quite work out. So then, of course, so we beat Man City, and I mean this this piece right here because I, I don't think we can't go without mentioning it because it happened a day later of the, the we were all savouring the Man City win, and then early Sunday afternoon we get this talk of a European Super League. It's an absolute disgrace. And honestly, we have to wrestle back the power in this country from the clubs at the top of this league. And that includes my club. And I've been calling for 12 months as part of another group for an independent regulator to bring checks and balances in place to stop this happening. It's pure greed. They're imposters. And of course, for about three to four days, uh, everyone's world, I guess, in terms of football was turned upside down in terms of the... The way we were looking at the game, the club, I remember us doing two podcasts about it on Tuesday evening. I was outside Stamford Bridge on a protest and within a few hours, the Super League had collapsed. I don't want to spend tons of time on this because we made two podcasts about this. So like two hours worth of discussion, I think, on, on this 
podcast that you can go back and listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think I'd be silly not to mention it because I think it does go up there with the biggest moments of this season because it jeopardised and it threatened, you know, us being in the Champions League, whatever the season was going to be, what was this club going to mean going forward? And, and it was, it was, it's easy to forget now, but that was an incredible couple of days. Once again, an exhausting couple of days and, and the Brighton nil-nil, Complete, completely got swept under the rug basically even though in a lot of ways it was it was a disappointing result yeah I, don't, I didn't care about the Brighton result I mean I just just think and then you know we we've spoken to death about the the European Super League as has every other football podcast you'll ever listen to so we don't need to go into detail about what it is but I just want to say credit to the fans really for, for being there for, for voicing their opinion that's not just Chelsea fans that's for all of the fans involved in the UK uh, and in, across Europe, and also to Tuchel, because when Lampard left and then the ESL stuff happened like a few months later, I was questioning whether I wanted to support this club anymore. And I genuinely, you would, uh, you would not have found me watching Chelsea games if we were in the Super League, definitely not. And for for an individual and a and a team to to be able to rekindle my passion for for the club is is excellent. So. You know, credit to all the the fan pages, the the members trust, all of that stuff, um, for for doing their bit. All the people that went to the stadium, all the people that protest. I mean, I couldn't be in in London, but I took a took a walk over to Anfield because obviously that's about twenty minutes from where I live, walk wise. So yeah, the, you know, the less said about the ESL, the better because it's been been spoken about to death. But that was definitely a, a moment in the season where everything could have gone wrong, and unfortunately, it didn't. So then it's credit to Tuchel and his players because he had a, obviously a, just big game after big game after big game from now. It's basically finals for the rest of the season in regards to the top four, the FA Cup and the Champions League. We then had West Ham away where once again Tuchel got it spot on. We won 1-0. Timo Werner scoring a winner. Um, really good performance. Um, just got the job done. I, you know, at this point, of course, West Ham sort of collapsed in the, in the remaining season, uh, remaining games of the season. They didn't really hit the heights they once did. Um, I think they had some key injuries to players, but big performance. It was it was great to get out of that week and to start to focus on the football again and the team and and supporting the squad. And and they handled themselves really well in that situation. We then moved on to the first leg of of the semi final against Real Madrid. First leg drawing one one. I was a bit like you. I couldn't quite believe that we were on the brink of a Champions League final. It didn't really quite sink in at that point. I was kind of thinking, once again, it's great. We've got to a semi-final. I think we've got a great chance here, but this is still Real Madrid, who I've always wanted to play in the Champions League. And and I remember on this podcast, we were sort of saying, we'll just have to sort of wait and see what happens. But it does it does feel like Chelsea are the slight favourites in this tie. It was too, it was too easy. That was a problem. It, we'd gone from struggling and battling every single game to, to winning games without an issue. You know, beating Man City without an issue. Beating Atletico Madrid without, you know, besides the opening 15 minutes of the game, without any real issues. And and then, you know, you go to Real Madrid and you get the one all. But again, I think most of us felt we, we could have got three. And Benzema's finish was a great finish, but that was the only shot on target. Um, And, and that was, you know, that was... That was a really interesting game where you felt, okay, okay, right, well, things are beginning to turn here. But this this is at a point, actually, where... So we, we had Real Madrid, and it was 1-0, 27th of April. Uh, and, then we, and then we sort of tumble into May, 
And now the remaining fixtures for May were Fulham, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Arsenal, Leicester, Leicester, Aston Villa, Manchester City. And then, you know, we've, we've got a game to play on the 11th of August now, but we, we're sort of rolling into a period of, of more tough results, right? And that, that Real Madrid draw gave you confidence. Um, you know, it was a bit of a sticky game, but I felt I felt as though we were the better team. And I think the neutrals did so as well. Then we, then we beat beat Fulham 2-0. Kai Havertz scoring two as a number nine. Yeah. And that was, uh, yeah, was kind of to be expected, but good result nonetheless. Then 5th of May rolls round. Uh, and we've got what I think is, is you know, the, besides the final, the best performance of the season, right? The 2-0 against Real Madrid, where on another day, it would have been 6-0. Mason Mount scoring the clinch clincher on that night yeah. as well. Timo Werner scoring the easiest goal of his life, but still a massive goal. Ingolo Kante was once again reaching in human levels. And finally it's in! And it's scored by Mason Mount, who's Chelsea through and through, who's come through the academy and he's just scored the goal to take Chelsea to Istanbul and the Champions League final. A couple of days before another big Premier League game that Chelsea need to get a good result in. So it was, it's, nothing has been allowed to be sort of savoured at this point. You're sort of, you're constantly, it's, it's so intense every couple of days you're getting another game that means so much and you're resetting everything and you're thinking about whether it's the Premier League and then we had Man City for the second time Tuchel versus Guardiola at the eight he had um I remember watching this game and feeling like it would kind of be a bonus result it's a little bit of a weird one because and I actually think once again in retrospect it feels like sort of Pep was kind of not showing his hand at all for the Champions League final um, and at the time, I felt we all were, were pretty smug and confident that, mate, we know you're going to play your best team in, in Porto, <laughs> even though he didn't in the end. Um, this was an incredible result once again. Chelsea 1-0 down. Aguero with the worst penalty you're ever going to see in your life. Ziyech scoring again against Man City. And of all people, Marcus Alonso stepping up with a, another cult goal for Chelsea <laughs> at the Etihad. That was that was then 2-2 two for, two for Tuchel, right? And... Uh, I... The problem was, is at this time, we were talking about it on the podcast, there's a banana skin here, there's a red herring about to pop up. Now, I thought it was going to be Villa, and I knew that Arsenal would be tough, because I was talking about the Arsenal game. So, we, we beat Man City again on the 8th of May. Four days later, we had to play Arsenal, uh, and we and we lose 1-0, right? That happens. <laughs> we, we lose 1-0 to Arsenal. I can't even remember who scores the Arsenal goal. I'm sure, can you remember? Smith-Rowe, I think it was. Because it was a Jorginho yeah, back pass, wasn't it? That's what created the goal. Yeah, and uh, Smith Rowe was excellent that night. To be fair, I really, rate, I really rate him as a player. To be honest, and um, and yeah, so so the the Arsenal result is just sort of classic. Oh, okay, fine. Well, we'll get that done. Three days later, FA Cup final, and this this was the one that I believed was the feasible trophy. Not that Leicester are an easy game by, but they're an easier team to play than Man City, and it was not good. Tillemans' goal, I mean, regardless of who was in goal or not, it was a great strike. And I don't want to, you know, we've been chatting now for an hour and, well, over an hour, so it won't be too long. But I don't want to go into too much detail about this game. All I want to say is I think Leicester deserved it. They played better on the day. Schmeichel was outstanding. Tillemans outstanding. All of their players were brilliant. They're better than us. 
and and for the work that they've been doing over the last two seasons it was fully deserved and and you know in hindsight we can say that if, if we'd have not if things had not gone our way it would be a different podcast but it's, it's football and that's the way it is and you know, fair play to Leicester for for having a, a very strong season, and and the FA Cup win was was totally justified for them, and they they deserved it. The performance was woeful from us, and and that was then two losses in a row, right? Yeah, and then we were going into the final week of the season where we'd been in a bit of in a position where Tuchel had come in and we regained control of top four, like it was in our hands, and suddenly we were in a another cup final basically against Leicester, where you felt like the winner of that game is probably going to get top four. And fans were back inside the stadium. You were there, Jay, at the bridge. Um, yep. Obviously, once again, extended thoughts will, for all these games will be on the podcast you can go back and, and listen to. But Chelsea, as they have done over recent years, it does feel like at times it's a tap. In some, like, it does feel like our amazing form can go on and off. You you will see, it felt like in the final weeks of the season, you'd get one incredible performance followed by a really dire performance. You know, you'd see the an Arsenal-Leicester really poor performances followed by an amazing performance against Leicester followed by a dreadful performance against Aston Villa that in all truth should have meant we lost top four but Gareth Bale decided to to do us a massive favor on the final day and somehow we we just got top four once again on the final day of the season I I think we didn't we in the preview for no we did we did a post Villa pod didn't we so we sort of analyzed the Premier League season the Premier League on its own, there isn't too much positive to say, I think, about the season for Chelsea, other than some big results. Uh, yeah, agreed. It agreed, was a agreed. pretty disappointing Premier League season. And once again, we were sat there going, what team is going to show up against Man City? Man City just battered Everton 5-0 on the final day of the season, playing some amazing stuff. And there were big doubts over the team, also because we'd lost the cup final. And, you know, the mentality, those intang- that's why I've titled this final piece Intangibles, because it, it was about this team, this squad that had lost a couple of finals consecutively. Did they have it in them to go the extra step? And we finally had a, a few days to build up to Man City. I think it, it hit when I, when I, it actually hit on the Friday evening, we were in a Champions League final. When I saw all the photos of people out in Porto, I saw the, the, the players training on the pitch. And I think you realised we're potentially 90 minutes from one of the most incredible feelings ever. And then, of course, we're at the final game um, of the season, Manchester City and Porto. Kai Havertz rounds Edison, puts it in the back of the net, and Chelsea win the European Cup for the second time. Havertz in a pocket of space, Edison came and didn't get there. Chance for Chelsea! Yeah, beautiful movement from from Timo. Excellent first touch from Ben Chilwell to play the pass to Mount, who has sublime pass. Best performance I've ever seen from Jorginho. Kante was outstanding. Uh, every single defender made a goal, winning tackle at least once or a block. You know, Pooley was great off the bench. Did Did Ziyech come on? Cover came on. Cover came on. Cover was good when he came on as well. 
And yeah, it was a, it was a weird, weird final in the sense that, you know, you and I FaceTimed after the game the best we could because I live out in the middle of nowhere when I went back to see my family. And I got the chance this time to savour the result. And, and actually, obviously, people listening can't see. But when I'm looking at Daniel, if you watch his YouTube channel, which I'm sure you do, you'll see his background. And there's a picture of Aspi in the squad holding the Champions League trophy. And I'm still not quite convinced that that happened. It's not fully... I don't know. It's not sunk in completely. I can't... And when I think about it, I get goosebumps. But I can't... I just can't quite fathom that 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 has happened. Uh, It's absolutely wonderful. And and the nice thing about it as well, a lot of players got their moment in that competition. Even Emerson, for example, with his goal against Atletico. It's it's, really done the uh, When I was analysing this picture, right, the celebration picture, which I posted on my Twitter, it's a really good one if you want to use as your wallpaper because it's a real high quality image. I always am intrigued in, in trophy lifts. You always get one player that, probably shouldn't be at the front but always manages to get Singra. It's the, it's the, it's the, I actually call this the Lenny Pidgeley award because Lenny Pidgeley and Neo for a five title lift barely played any minutes I think he, his only minutes of the season came against uh, Charlton that day yeah. he managed to cram himself at the right go back and watch there's a guy that probably most people don't even know the name of Lenny Pidgeley in this one it isn't as bad because he's like there's, there's Jorginho, there's Christensen, but you can see, as as I'm pointing to right now, Emerson is right near the front. And I, I have to rate it in some ways because players know that, you know, Emerson knows it's probably the end of his Chelsea career. Basingra, Basingra was so shameless in the first. I remember he got straight in front of John Terry after about 30 seconds. Of it was a mess. That trophy lift in Munich was an absolute mess, man. They, they barely had any space to, to move and it was just... It was a complete... This trophy lift was better than Munich. It was more of a proper trophy, like career mode trophy lift. And what a surreal moment. I mean, yeah, just wonderful for the club. Great for Tuchel. Great for the young players. Great for the old players. Great for Kante. uh, Great for players like Rudiger, Jorginho, who have their critics. Which may be 1-0 on this pod right here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. um, Yes. Yes. All right. You know, we're not getting into that now. But, you know, credit to all those players. Um, Christensen as well, Daniel Childs. Um, so yeah, that was that was the beauty. Of, I never of, said I'd rather lose yeah. <laughs> with with someone else than Christensen, mate. Oh, he's done me. He's done me. I do want to ask one question, Jay. Based on your time supporting Chelsea, where does this season rank? That's really hard because in terms, oh, goodness, oh, I don't know. Because actually, the season where we won the Champions League last time was rubbish as well. Yeah, the the best season was first or second season Carlo for me. I loved that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that was ridiculous. Um, obviously the Mourinho time was was excellent, but again, my memory's better for Carlo. I was eight and and nine with the the first Jose stuff. Uh, I love the Conte seasons and when we won the league with Conte. I I think this season is is a is a top. Five, top three maybe, because the Champions League is just too good. It's too good, and and I like I like this squad quite a lot, and I really like Tuchel, and I, and I love the fact that Frank had a had an involvement in this Champions League win as well. So it's it's wrapped up nicely, but to get there, oh, what about you? It's not in the top two, and I don't think it's in the top three. 
because I have a lot of fondness for 0405. Um, 0405 is mad. Going Man, to, I remember having the bed sheets. <laughs> go, you know, that kit, going to the bridge, watching Frank and JT. Um, I think that would probably tie actually, my like emotionally for me, that ties number one with 2012. Um, this is very high though, absolutely. You know, that trophy propels this season to new heights it does because that picture behind me will be remembered and will be the the, the lasting memory of this season it will you know it, it that's what the champions league does i think if i was to just sit here and quickly give it to you i think it would be third or fourth probably um the i think what does lessen this season for me that i cannot take away from it is not being inside the stadium not being at the bridge, not feeling the team firsthand. I haven't seen the team live since Bayern Munich, the first leg of the Champions League last 16 tie. That was the last time I watched Chelsea live. I have shout out three UK for sorting your boy out. Free, I'm gonna okay. We're adding free UK rep to um to uh, your titles now. I got. Are we counting the one for tomorrow? Because I start recording tomorrow. What was it? Premier League TV star. Five Live, BBC News, fully vaccinated, Chelsea FC rep, free UK influencer, Jay McIntosh. <laughs> but anyway, man, that, that's that's probably, I think no fans inside the stadium um, and not being there for some of those games, I think has been difficult throughout the season. And I can't get away from the fact it has felt like a never ending season. I'm very happy is over. Um but the Champions yeah. League for a lot of people is gonna is gonna absolutely take it to the top, you know, for a lot of people like the top three. Um I don't think you like the Premier League victories have been very special because those seasons have been consistently joyous, you know. This the two Champions League winning seasons were had some very, very low moments, which is so weird because, you know, our two you know, you'd expect that in the years where we're domestically dominant you'd expect those teams would have a better chance of winning this thing. But, you know, unfortunately, that's the way Chelsea goes. So it's predictably unpredictable. I think, I do think as a point, this is the most Chelsea season you're going to find in your life. This is the, this is the more, this is representative of more what Chelsea is as a club, I think, than any other season can. Um, so I will say that, that it isn't my top season. I mean, you summed up the season perfectly and I bet it would be the name of the podcast, Predictably Unpredictable. Um and yeah, that that's what it is, and and I I now have hope that next season will be a a good one, and and the fans being back, and and just to just to end, it's players like Timo really responded well to fans being there, and it was nice to see fans treating him with respect, and actually the match going fans are really outstanding, typically as always. Um, but did you want to get into player ratings? Um, I would like to add a few things quickly before we go into player ratings. Do you mind? Yeah, go ahead. Firstly, we've been chatting for an hour and 20. We know we've not said anything about the women's team. We've tried to cover them all season. This, again, is a learning period for us. We can't always pretend Daniel's better than I am to, to be experts in the women's game. Um, I would strongly recommend listening to podcasts like London is Blue. Um, also, went to Mo King's Meadow. is an outstanding uh, podcast if you want more detail there. Uh, and next season, obviously, we'll continue to to watch and, and dissect the women's game uh, for sure. I'd also, just before we get into player ratings, I would like to say some special mentions for players this season that have been on loan or in the youth team. So my special mentions are Tino Andrin, Lewis Bate, Livramento, Soon Sutbell and Daniel Simiou. And then 
the Lone Boys, Ross Barkley, Armando Brozier, Mark Gurhi, Conor Gallagher, Baba Rahman because he won a trophy in Greece, and Ike Ugbo, who got 17 goals this season uh, at the age of 22 for a struggling, uh, I can't pronounce their name, but it looks like Bruges, but I don't think it is Bruges. Um, Circle Bruges or whatever they're called. So those guys have got special mentions for me. Obviously, Anna Hayes, uh, I mean, wonderful. Um, all the women's team were outstanding. Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, Penilla Harder, excellent. Magda Eriksson, excellent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, go and check out. I went to Co- Mo King's Meadow if you want more details on, on that season. Um, but, yeah, we are aware that we haven't mentioned that much, but there's enough theatre in, in the men's team to take up one podcast. But let's do player ratings, mate. So you're, you you don't want to count Willie Caballero. I would have given him a five anyway. So so how do you want to do it? Do you want to just say the number each and then and then move on or how? Yeah, yeah. So so basically, the for my player ratings, I basically have... This is what I consider in terms of the numbers. And you can tell me if, if you disagree. So one to three, I think, is a poor season. Four to six is an average season. I think seven, whether you call it a strong or a good season, I think seven is like, you know, a pretty decent season. Eight and nine is an excellent season. And 10 is, of course, we could go, they had world-class performances, but just for the sake of, you know, labeling these, world-class, you know, 10 is is a world-class season for me. So to go through the goalkeepers, I've given Edward Mendy a nine. Obviously, I've given him a 10. The two players, well, I've given Billy a 10 as well, but I've given, I've given him... Two players, 10. Mendy's one of them. Kepa Rizabalaga gets a four from me. I gave him a six. Okay. I was being kind, but actually I think he done okay when he's played. Okay. But I, yeah, I don't care what he gets, really. We go into the defenders, and of course I'm including fullbacks slash wingbacks here. Do you, want, do, you want, do you want to just list all of yours and the scores, and I'll do mine? Antonio Rudiger gets an eight. Okay, eight's fair, eight's fair. Thiago Silva gets an eight. Christensen... If you say anything other than nine, I'm coming to your house and I'm going to... Gets an eight. Oh. That's still an excellent That's... season in my mind. Because I am adjusting for the fact he didn't play until, like, he didn't stop yeah, playing yeah. properly. Until, like, yeah. And that's the same for Rudiger and some other players as well. Kurt Zuma gets a seven because he okay. did have some really good moments. But unfortunately for the second half of the season, just wasn't really in the team consistently enough. Dave yeah. gets an eight as well. Reese James gets an eight. Ben Chilwell gets an eight. Marcus Alonso gets a six. Emerson gets a four. We then move into midfield. Ingolo Kante gets a 10. Jorginho gets an eight. Kovacic gets a six. Billy Gilmore gets a seven. Mason Mount gets a 10. We go into wingers, where it's all about sixes at the moment. Hudson-Odoi gets a six. Pulisic gets a six. Ziyech gets a six. And I go into my forwards, where I have put Kai Havertz. Uh, Werner gets a seven. Kai Havertz gets an eight, mainly because he scored in the Champions League final. Tammy Abraham gets a seven and Olivier Giroud gets a six. I feel like you were more harsh than I was or am going to be. I tried just not to be influenced by the Champions League victory. Okay. Do you want want mine? Do you want mine? So so I gave gave Caballero a five, Kepa a six, Mendy a ten, uh, Alonso seven, Chilwell eight, Rudiger nine, Aspi nine, AC nine. Silver eight, Zuma seven, Reese nine, Emerson. I didn't really count him, but I gave him a six because he got the big goal and he's still in the national team. Uh, Kante ten, Mount ten, Jorginho eight, Kova seven, Billy ten, um, Hudson Adoy six point five, Pulisic 
seven, and that's because he's had a tough season. Um, obviously, he's done big things in big games, but the injuries have made it tough. It's not always his fault, but that is seven still very impressive. I gave Timo an eight. Um, I also gave Giroud an eight, and now I gave Giroud eight because whenever he was needed, he was more often than not brilliant. Uh, I gave Kai. I gave Kai seven and a half again because he most of the season has not been amazing, but the Champions League final was brilliant. And actually, the last few months he's really come into his own. So next season will be his one. Uh, I gave Tammy a six and I gave Ziesh a six point five. So yeah, there's a lot to a lot to go on there. I'm sure some people will disagree. Uh, the Rudy Asp AC Silver all got nines for me. That yeah, I just thought they were brilliant. Um, and I am being influenced by the Champions League, and I don't mind. Mason and Kante, Mason Kante and Mendy are the three of my three highest players. Yeah. Um, on my one, Mendy got a nine, um, but I can understand if some people were to give him a ten. Um, yeah. I just think that this has been a season review, and I have to look at the season from September to May, not yeah, from yeah, January yeah. to May. And um, it's unfair on some of those players like Christensen and Rudiger, two players who barely played at the start of the season. So are you judging, this is the whole thing, right? Are you judging them based on the minutes they played on the actual pitch and ranking them out of 10? Yeah, I'm or, basing them on their performances. And of course I'm influenced again, by that, but as well I'm thinking that there was probably a reason why they weren't playing at the start. And, and some of these players have reached levels they never have for Chelsea as well. You know, they've done things that I think are, are quite surprising so certain these players to reach a level they have. Um, so based on my expectations for them at pre-season as well I'm judging a lot of those listen man if you agree to numbers at the end of the day you know I think they're all I think this is a brilliant squad because they won the Champions League you can't get away from that um, and you know say if, if you're annoyed by it you know make your own list yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah make your own list yeah um, so you know, just to, just to wrap it up, because it's been an hour and a half, you're still listening, fair play. Um, next episode, we're going to do season awards. Um, some of them are going to be pretty jokes. Um, I'm I'm tempted to, to tweet who's the worst Chelsea account of the season on my own account and just see what people say. But I think that's just maybe a bit unprofessional. Um, yeah, just a bit. Well, I'm, I'm going to say it on the podcast, mate. So I might as well say it on Twitter as well. Just quickly before we wrap up, just for a bit of fun. Uh, Daniel, the season's been interesting. Uh, which one player from loan, which one player from the youth team and which player that we can get on a transfer do you want to see come to the club over summer? Loan, Mark Gurhey. Agreed. Youth, Livermento. Yeah. And the third one, um, it's a tough one, uh, Lukaku. Yeah, that's, also that's agreed. very close with Declan, but yeah. Lukaku is, I've watched him again for Belgium last night, and Jesus Christ. Frightening. Jesus frightening. Christ. Frightening. And I'm sorry, I just can't watch us miss more chances. I know Kai is starting to find form, and he's very young in a number nine. But I just think Lukaku. If you, if it can happen, Chelsea, you've got to make it. You just. I think we. I think we seriously. We win the Premier League title if we sign Lukaku. Big statement. Big statement. But yeah, that's season review. That's player ratings. That's special mentions. Bit of transfer chat at the end. Uh, nothing too emotional. Nothing you know like that. It's a. Uh, it's been a. It's been a pretty decent hour and a half considering the technical issues before.
Oh, no. Okay, I was going to say who's the average mammal of the week or average mammal of the season, but do you want that to be an award? That Yeah, that would probably be an award. That, that <laughs> more like an award, so we'll save that. But yeah, this has been the Every Other Sunday podcast. I, throughout the second half of the season, have been your host, Jay McIntosh, joined, as always, by the main man himself, Daniel Childs. And we'll catch you next week for the end of season awards, which is something very exciting. We're going to have an awful lot of awards, I imagine. Most of them will be ridiculous. Um, oh, and this is not a democracy, by the way, because you, you can't vote in it. This is not, we're not doing a poll on Twitter yeah, for you, it. You take, you take your bread and you eat your bread. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to deal with what, <laughs> what's, you know, if you want, if you want democracy, go somewhere else. We're, we're, yeah, this yeah. is a dictatorship, a two-man dictatorship pure, here. Yeah, this is pure dictatorial podcasting. So that's the way it is. Okay, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, like, rate, review, download, play it loud in your car. I don't mind what you do. Uh, go down to the beach if you live near the near the water. Get a speaker out, play it there. Do what we have to do. Um, but we'll catch you next time. And and yeah, you know, tweet us if you if you disagree with anything. It, it's uh, it is funny when people do that. Particularly all the people. Thank you to all the people that sent me pictures of uh, Jorginho holding the Champions League trophy. I really appreciate. Is that still it. happening? Yep, yeah, it still happens. Um, which I rate. I do rate it. So yeah, thank you very much. But listen, we'll catch you guys next time. Peace.